while you're standing, will you turn in your Bibles to Psalm 51? Jesus has filled two with the baptism of the Holy Ghost today in this service already. This is an apostolic church. We're following the leading of the Lord. Jesus can break through anytime he wants. That's the way this should work. I give honor to my precious husband today. My pastor knows I'm here today. I submit to you, pastor, as I flow into your anointing. Psalm 51 is a psalm of repentance. If you ever feel bad about things you have done in your life, you know you are a sinner. That is the beginning of acknowledging your Savior and your need of Him. And if you're not sure how to repent in an appropriate way, repentance is not just saying, I'm sorry, Jesus, and then going back and doing the same things again. Repentance is a sorrowful act where you know you are unclean, you're undone, you're separated from your maker. And you are trying to express with your words, Lord, I'm going to serve you the rest of my days. Clean out my dirty heart, forgive me, and I'm going to turn away from those things. I'm going to walk with you. He's coming back for a church that is walking with Him. We should not live a life where we have to constantly come to church and feel guilty, repent, sin, come back, feel guilty, sin, repeat. Talking to somebody today. So David had sinned. You said, well, my sins are so terrible. Well, David committed murder. He committed adultery. Doesn't get too much worse than that. But he was restored back to his God. And this is his verse here, his prayer of repentance. We're going to read 12 verses today. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. According unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. And cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. And in the hidden part, thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. I'm going to stop there. You can read the rest later as you review what God has talked to us about today. But for your hearing today, the Lord gave me this message to deliver to you, entitled, 
something better. Something better. You may be seated. I'm going to explain the reason for my graphic that has a doll. I'm going to tell you all about that. But I need to lay a foundation today for what God is trying to do and wants to do in our midst. Something better. Families are in need of restoration. Lives need to be restored. We read in that last verse, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Drawing your attention to that word restore. You see, our joy is robbed. It is taken by the thief. His name is Satan. When we allow sin to separate us from God. Sin robs us of our joy. I'm running into a lot of people that are careworn and burdened down and they have no joy because they've forgotten how it was the first time they came to an altar and prayed. And when Jesus filled them, the joy they felt. And when it was all new and fresh, how they loved serving God. We settle into a place where the enemy will try to steal your joy, rob you of your joy. Because unless we have an open communication with our maker. If we allow sin to come between, we are separated from him and from every good thing and from our joy. The word restoration or restore is mentioned 136 times in scripture. That's a lot of times. And so I want to delve into that for a moment before I tell you a personal story like I always do. Restoration is the act of returning something to a former owner, place, or condition. Pretty simple. We know what restoration is. Matter of fact, the world has launched into a fad of restoration. If you don't believe it, there are over 300 television programs right now about taking old things and making them new. It is certainly a fad and has lasted now for several years. Uh, flip This House, Property Brothers, Kitchen Crashers, Million Dollar Listings, Flea Market Fines, to name a few. I don't watch them. <laughs> but the world has an idea of what restoration is. Buy something old and make it new. I've said so many times to my husband, why did I throw away all that old stuff? Because <laughs> I could be very wealthy right now just having my own little shop. If I had all my mama and daddy's and grandparents' things that we thought were worthless and we pitched them, it is an amazing thing to antique when you get to be my age. Brother Vernon and I walk in and we just walk back in time. Grandma had that. Mama had that. those canisters. My grandma had that on the wall. My mom had that picture. Oh, I had that. Makes you feel real old. <laughs> now they're antiques. But the word restore actually means to return something to the way it was. We would rejoice and run the aisles if I shouted that just a little bit louder. But let me qualify here with a sentence that will explain exactly what the world thinks about restoration. A man was sick. He made a visit to his doctor. 
the doctor treated him and he was restored to health. So we know by that sentence that that man was well once. He got sick. The doctor gave him medicine and he was back the way he was before. That's the world's definition of restoration. But I am here today to bring good news to the church that the idea of restoration in the kingdom of God is very different from that. Because when Jesus touches a life, when he comes and changes you, when he fills you with the Spirit, when you go down in the waters of baptism, you are something better. He doesn't put you back the way you were. He doesn't just simply leave you where you were. Your life will continue to get better. Restoration means something better. Hallelujah. We are serving a Savior that is ready to do whatever needs to be done in your life to make it better. If your life's not getting better, then you need to say, is there anything separating me from Jesus? Because your life should be getting better. We all go through seasons and hardships and hard times. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about your overall life as you walk with God will continually get better. The Lord doesn't put things back the way they were. There was a little boy in a crusade situation I had many children in this one crusade over a hundred children the adults were all in the sanctuary listening to brother stone king so no one wanted to help me because they all wanted to hear him speak so that was pretty common for many years I had five crusades every year at different locations where brother stone king was on the other side and I was with the children and so people threw their children in the door and ran so they could go get a seat, <laughs> ages 4 through 12. And oftentimes it wasn't the best situation for me, but I determined that I was not a babysitting service, that I was called to evangelize children, and that I was part of God's secret arsenal. And they expected me to put on a video and pop popcorn and let them color a sheet until they all got back filled with the Holy Ghost. And what they would find when they walked in that room were kids laid out all over the floor speaking with other tongues. They'd have to carry them to their cars. Hallelujah. It's important to know who you are in the body. And I didn't go announcing who I was. I just slipped it in on them. And, and it was a glorious few years there that I think it was 25 years total that I did those conferences every year. And so in this particular conference, a little boy came and he had a friend with him and they sat on the front row and Josh had huge hearing aids hooked to his ears and he was born without the hearing apparatus at all in one ear, the other very slightly and to the degree that he could only read lips, could not hear. He had to sit on the front row so he could read my lips. And his friend Reuben brought him in, and they're sitting on that front row. I am in the middle of a message that God gave me for children. I am preaching like I would preach to anybody because souls are all the same size, and they must be born again of water and spirit. And I'm ministering to these children, and the Lord stops me in the middle of the message, and he says, I am going to open deaf ears. I stopped, and I 
called the attention of the children, the Lord said he would open deaf ears. I called that little boy to the front. I called the children together in. You want somebody to pray for you? Get children like these children that came up here today full of faith. They're already up here interceding and talking in tongues because the the parents and the Sunday school department are doing their job. They're ministering to them and they're teaching them and training them. And that was the case with a lot of these children. They gathered in. They laid their little hands on the shoulders of this boy and then on the shoulders of the one in front of them. And the faith was being released in that place. And God said he was going to do it so he will always do what he says he's going to do. And before I even got to the front, uh, down the steps and to the child, Reuben had his hands over both of his friend's ears and, and hearing aids. And I just walked up and, and listened, and I'm just saying, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. And I hear Reuben say, deaf ears open in the name of Jesus. He didn't scream and yell, and he didn't run around the building. He just said, deaf ears open in the name of Jesus. And we, I said, now lift your hands and thank the Lord for healing. And the children began to talk in tongues and rejoice. And all of a sudden, I feel somebody tugging on me, and I open my eyes, and Josh has his hearing aids in his hands. He said, ma'am, I do not need these, and it is way too loud in this room. <laughs> Hallelujah. And so after a little while of rejoicing, I released the children. We walked in the back of that sanctuary. I said, go in very quietly. They're having altar service. And I just walked them in the back to sit and wait on their parents. And we filled up part of a big section back there. But I couldn't catch Josh and Reuben as they're walking up the aisle. And Josh runs with these hearing aids in his hand right up the steps. Now, the altar service is going on to Brother Stone King. And he grabs his jacket like he did mine. He said, sir, these are my hearing aids. I don't need them because Jesus just opened my ears in children's church. Mama came off the organ. She just absolutely came unglued. You know what? That boy all of a sudden was made better. God didn't put him back the way he was. He was born without the apparatus to hear. God restored it. I have seen the Lord do these things through the years. There is nothing that God won't do. Hallelujah. As we walk according to his plan and purpose in this last hour, we're going to see healing and miracles like we have never seen before. We're going to see his spirit poured out upon all flesh. Anyone who wants it, it's going to be so easy and instant like it was today. Hallelujah. Something better. Hallelujah. He's always about doing something better. There was a little girl with her kidneys had shut down and she was on dialysis twice a week. She was swollen. Her color was almost green. She was just a very little girl, eight years old, I believe. And her mom brought her in and she said, now... She really should not even be here, but she begged. She wanted to be here tonight. She wanted to be with the children, and so I'm going to let her come. But she has a, a, a situation where her kidneys have completely shut down because her body has outgrown them. They are small and tiny, and, and finally her body kept growing, but her kidneys did not, and they can't explain the disease exactly, but she is in the lineup for a kidney transplant. She will not live if she doesn't get a transplant. She's on the list. They brought her in and she sat on that front row. She was so sick. 
it was so pitiful. We began to start the, the night, and I didn't know she was going to make it through the singing and so on. And when I got up to minister, I'm in the middle of my message. And the Lord spoke to me, and he said, I am going to heal that little girl. I didn't wait till the end. I feel like whatever he wants to do is way more important than what I'm doing. I stopped everything. And I said, the Lord just spoke to me that he is going to heal our little friend tonight. I didn't tell the children what was going on. I just released faith. They began to reach out toward her. I said, body, obey your maker in the name of Jesus. Kidneys, be whole, be well in the name of Jesus. And you know what? Nobody went, ah! I did that to wake somebody up. I, I see you snoozing back there. <laughs> Nobody shouted and ran the aisles. It was very anticlimactic. And I said, all right, children, go back to your seat. I finished my message. She still looked pale and peaked and swollen, and she went with her mother home, and, and so it, it, it was all over. I wasn't really thinking about it because once Jesus said it, it's done. It's done. He restores. He's the restorer. Six weeks later, I got a packet of thick envelope in the mail. I opened that packet, and it was a letter, and it had a medical report attached. And long story short, Mama's telling me in this letter, and, and it verifies it in the medical report. It said this is not a medical miracle. Medicine had nothing to do with this. The ne very next time they took her in for dialysis, they did the kidney scan, and the kidneys were normal size, pink and, and colorful and pumping and doing what they do because Jesus is a God of restoration hallelujah he didn't put her back the way she was he gave her new kidneys why would you think he's going to put you back the way you were your finances are going to get better your marriage is going to get better your children are going to come to God you're going to be delivered of anxiety and depression you're going to throw a lot of your meds away God's going to restore you he's going to put you back in right standing with him because sin separates us from God you think you don't need God you do you need restoration you need to be restored back to your maker and the Bible is so clear and so simple on how to be restored and it's so easy I can't tell you the people that, that you know, I, I start to talk to somebody. They, they brought a friend to church, you know, and, and they bring their friend in, and their friend is real interested. And, and their friend comes up, you know, kind of edges around the side. And, boy, I'm, you know, when I see that, I, I'm on them. <laughs> and, and when I approach, you know, the, the person that brought that friend, their eyes get real big and scared looking. And they look at me, and they say, Oh, they, they pull me aside. They don't want their friend to hear. Oh, oh, uh, sister, sister, they're brand new. They're, they're, they're taking a Bible study. You know, I know what that means. That means just go pray with somebody else. Don't mess this up, Sister Vernon. I know what that means. They've they, they got fear in their eyes. She's going to try to pray them through. 
Well, let me ask you, what if Jesus comes tomorrow before you get done with your 10-week lessons? What if Jesus comes before you have a chance to tell him about the Holy Ghost? It's a simple gospel. They don't have to have a whole Bible study before they receive the Holy Ghost. Matter of fact, they don't have to understand it at all. I've seen drunk people walk in off the street and stagger to the altar and come up talking in tongues and sober. Hallelujah. Let's not make this thing so hard. Just start going to people. And, and with this simple gospel, we're going to do it at the workplace. We're going to do it in the parking lots. We're going to start telling our neighbors. I'm afraid a lot of us, and I'm not against Bible studies. I believe in them. And the people that got the Holy Ghost today, they need, to, they need a Bible study. We need that. We need teaching. What I'm saying is, what if you're in the middle of the 10-week the, the Bible study and you haven't even approached salvation and the trumpet sounds? You better let the Spirit lead you. Because all an individual has to do is the same thing these little children have done. You want to be restored, you repent. Two R's, that's easy to remember. <laughs> but want to be restored, repent. <laughs> Get to the altar, Lord. I need you. I'm sorry for the bad things I've done. I'm sorry I've tried to live my life without you or, or with just part of truth. Lord, I, I want it all. <laughs> I want to be restored back to you. Please clean out my heart. Please forgive me. However you want to pray that prayer. The Bible says repent and be baptized. Restoration happens in that tank. You go down in the name of Jesus. You know, when you get married, you take on that person's name. That is your time to be the bride of Christ, to take on his name. He's coming back, the Bible says, for his bride. People covered by his name. Do you know there's no other way to be baptized in Scripture but in the name of Jesus? Why would we skirt around that when that is the only way anybody was baptized? Well, but this church does this and that church does that. You know why? You can study it back in history out of convenience. Some of them got rid of their big tanks because it's messy. People get out of there and they, there's water all over the carpet and water on the walls and, and it's kind of messy. So they got little bowls and they decided they'd sprinkle people instead of dunking them. That's the way that came about. I'm helping somebody today. I'm helping you. Read your history. You don't have to listen to me. It is not in the Bible the way other people baptize. It's not in there. It says in the name of Jesus Christ. For the remission of sin. You must go down and back up in Jesus' name. And you shall. Not maybe, not might. You will. It's going to be done. It's already done. He already bought it for you on the cross. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Our friends back here received the Holy Ghost today. Carolyn and her son, they, they received it so easy. She's standing back there at her pew and received the Holy Ghost. Why? Because it's easy. Don't go out of here today without the Holy Ghost. You need to be restored back to Jesus. When the trumpet sounds, you can't fly. How are you going to go to heaven? You can't fly. Somebody can't take you with, with them. They can't say, oh, come on, Jesus is here. Come on, I'm going to take you with me. You can't even take your children. That's why they need the Holy Ghost. Because it's the power of the Holy Ghost that's going to take us up when Jesus comes. Hallelujah. That's all right here in Scripture. I'm talking about restoration today. I don't want to be put back the way I was. I want to be something better. All right, I'm going to tell you a funny story. I've told you before, when I was a kid, I was quite challenging. Actually, I'm still quite challenging. <laughs> I had attention deficit disorder with hyperactivity before they knew what it was. They didn't have any pills. 
I had older parents. I've told you that. My dad was 48. My mom was 41. They didn't want any more kids. They had two beautiful, obedient princesses. Surprise! <laughs> and I was quite a challenging child. I was very destructive. I always wanted to take things apart. I had many, many, many different uh, ideas all the time. I, I, I was coming up with something new all the time to do. You remember those old Fisher Price uh, that were, they were supposed to resemble a, a television set. They also made radios and they were hard wood. They had nails in them and, and, and you turned the knob and, and mine was Mary Had a Little Lamb and Mary would run by when you turned that and it played the song and then the lambs would follow Mary and, and I would watch that and that was a very boring little toy. And, and I remember quite well taking that Fisher-Price heavy-duty toy uh, to my dad's workbench and getting many tools and working for a very long time. If you've ever seen one of those, they're in the antique stores now because <laughs> they outlawed them. <laughs> Kids would whack each other in the head with them and give them concussions, and so they took them off the market. All the fun toys went off the market. <laughs> and, and so I, I had one of those, and I took it apart I, because I wanted the lambs out of there. <laughs> I was so dismayed to find that it was just a piece of paper. They weren't real lambs at all. They were just a piece of paper rolling by. And, but I, got, I remember getting in so much trouble for destroying things, <laughs> taking things apart. And I always had great ideas, new ideas. And I announced to the family one night that I know what I'm going to be when I grow up. I was six years old. I am going to be a world-renowned ventriloquist. I had somewhere seen a clip of Howdy Doody. Anybody remember Howdy Doody? That, that freckle-faced, red-headed puppet mannequin. That, well, I guess it was a dummy. They called it a dummy. And, and, you know, the man had that dummy sitting on his arm. And I seen a clip. And I, I watched that man smile from ear to ear and never move his lips. I watched so closely. But he made that thing talk like it was really talking. And even adults would just get all engaged in the conversation because you could not believe that man was making that thing talk because he did not move his lips. And I declared, this is what I want to be when I grow up. So I need a howdy-doody doll and I need one now. My dad dashed my hopes and dreams. There will be no howdy-doody. Those things are over $100. We're not buying Howdy Doody. Well, my dreams and hopes were shattered, but I moved on quite quickly because Christmas was coming, and we always got a special doll for Christmas. And I had in my mind, I know what doll I want, Mrs. Beasley. There's a picture of Mrs. Beasley on the screen. Some of you remember her. I was six when Mrs. Beasley came out. She was a doll that was off of some program on television. Buffy and Jody were the characters' names, and this was the little girl Buffy's doll, Mrs. Beasley. Now, I can tell you why I wanted Miss Beasley. Because everyone in my life, I was such a challenging child. No one ever talked nice to me. It was always sit down, be quiet, put that away, do that over, you messed that up. That's kind of the life of a child a lot of times we need to remember to praise them and to say kind words but everyone was always on me and I had two older sisters so I had three mothers it was very difficult having three mothers and and so I I wanted Mrs. Beasley because she was a grandma doll and she could talk when you pulled a string on her side she didn't even take batteries she just had a little voice box in there and you pulled that string on her side, and she said nice things. Can I give you a drink of water? 
Would you like to wear my glasses? Will you sit on my lap and I'll tell you a story? So I, I decided I want, I want that doll because she'll say nice stuff to me. And I, I kept bringing that doll to my parents. This is the one I want. I want Mrs. Beasley. And Dad said, go put it back. We'll, we'll see. Well, somehow in a household of three children and one income and back in just after the Depression days, they always seemed to make a happy Christmas and fulfilled those wishes. And on Christmas morning, there was Mrs. Beasley. I jerked her out of the box and squeezed her real tight and, and played with her for hours and for about three days. <laughs> she was laying in the middle of my bed and my dad was going back to work and my mom was counting the moments for us to go back to school and the Christmas trimmings were going down and, and dad sat me down for a talk. I had a lot of those talks. He said, you are not a baby, you are six years old. And things cost lots of money. And we bought you this Mrs. Beasley doll, and I want to tell you that I expect you to take care of her. I don't want you to take her outside and play in the mud with her. I don't want you to lose her clothes. I don't want you to cut off all of her hair with scissors and color with markers and crayons on her face. These things had happened before. <laughs> he said, I am very serious that I want you to take care of your things. They cost a lot. Do you hear me? Yes, Daddy. I promise. I will take care of her. All right, I'm expecting that. I wonder how many of us came to an old-fashioned altar and we said, Lord, if you'll just forgive me, if you'll wipe the slate clean, if you'll move in my heart, if you'll become my God, I won't fail you. I know it cost you a lot on Calvary for my salvation. And I'll walk with you. I, I won't mess this up, Lord. And we made God some promises. I promise, Daddy. I promise. So, I am not back in school yet. My sisters are gone. Dad's at work and my mom is in the kitchen. And I have an idea. I, on this special day, am going to become a surgeon. I slip into the kitchen and mom doesn't see me edge open the drawer with the steak knives. I do not do this at home. I took out the steak knife and stuck it in my little jean skirt pocket and went over to the drawer where the very sharp scissors were kept and put them in my other pocket. And I crept into my room, which is now a surgical suite. I lay a towel on the bottom of the gurney, my bed, and I lay Mrs. Beasley over on her face. I poise the knife above Mrs. Beasley's blonde head and come down and make a hole in the back of her head. I take those sharp scissors and it takes two hands to cut that nice, neat square out of the back of her head. I, I, I lay that hairy square over on the bed and I flip her over for part two of her surgery. I poise the knife above her mouth I come down right in the corner of her rubber lips 
And I don't think about the scissors at that point, and I tried to drag that knife across those rubber lips. Oops. And went all the way to her ear. Nevertheless, surgery is complete. I pick up Mrs. Beasley, and I set her on my arm, and I stuck my little tiny hand in that hole in the back of her head down into her rubber lips that will not move. And I stood in front of the mirror the rest of the day. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, because I'm going to be a world-renowned ventriloquist. I practice all day long. I have a show planned. I let my parents know after, after dinner tonight I have a show planned. And my sisters all both groaned and went to their rooms. And mom and dad, you know, being elder parents of a young child, you know, I was their delight. And they loved the shows. I, it was very common for me to put on shows. I had Mrs. Beasley, I mean, she's behind my back, and my little heart was thumping. My dad was in the recliner reading the paper. My mom was, was crocheting doilies, sitting in a rocker. I'll never forget it. I walked in, are you ready for the show? Ready, Mom, Dad? We're ready, and they're just grinning from ear to ear because I'm their baby girl, and I'm going to put on a show. I pull Mrs. Beasley out on my arm, and I say, Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Needless to say, the show did not go on. <laughs> I am so shocked when my mom picks up her crocheting, her doily, and she's sobbing into her doily. I look at my dad and kerbang, the recliner went down and the paper went over on the floor and, and there is a look on his face and, and I realize that this has not worked out like I thought it was. Somebody needs to realize that life's just not working out for me like I thought it should. Because when I make my own plans and I have my own dreams and I carry out in disobedience, things never go right. I'm watching my dad's face and normally I, I had learned by six years that if I would start in real quick with, I'm sorry, I, I, I'm sorry, please don't punish me. I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry, daddy. Sometimes that was enough. And so many times that's all we want to do is, I, I'm sorry, Jesus. I'm sorry that I looked at pornography again. I, I, I'm sorry, Jesus, that I said a curse word. I, I, I'm sorry, Jesus. I, I, I'm so sorry. And, and we think that's enough. And it's not enough. You made the Lord some promises. You said you wouldn't turn back. You said you'd walk with him. You recognized the cross and the price that was paid. And yet we crucify him afresh, putting him to an open shame. I recognize the look on my dad's face as a bit of anger. Usually punishment would follow. But this day, at six years old, I saw something different. I saw disappointment. I never really comprehended a look of I'm so hurt. I'm so disappointed in you. I just told you. We just had this talk. And yet you would turn right around after you came last Sunday. Somebody needs to look back in the face of your Savior.
hanging on that cross, make another visit to Calvary and remind yourself the price that was paid. I remember as a little girl not understanding what in the world daddy's not yelling. He's not mad. But that look on his face, I couldn't stand it. I remember realizing for the first time in my life, I had hurt my daddy. He was hurt by my actions. I stood frozen in place and daddy came and he jerked Mrs. Beasley out of my hands. I heard the back door open. I just stood there. Mama's weeping. And, and I hear the trash can, that metal trash can lid. Kerbang. Dad threw her away. Why? Because we're not supposed to be what we once were. Oh, we're talking about restoration. My dad couldn't stand to see it. Why? Because I tried to make her something she was never meant to be. I tried to make her into something that she was not designed to be. Some of you have the devil's head, hand in the back of your head, trying to make you something you were never meant to be. You were never supposed to do drugs. You were never supposed to drink alcohol. You weren't supposed to tattoo your body. You were never supposed to, to fill the void with all those things. Oh, are you preaching against things? No. I'm explaining why we do the things we do. We're trying to fill a void. We're empty without him. Until you're filled with his spirit, you're empty. And you will try all kinds of things. You look at people in the world that do the most awful things and you say, I don't understand that. I would never do that. They're trying to fill a void. Let me explain to you that when you go to the door of the spirit world and you said, I, I would never do that. Uh, look in that room, boy, the demons in there. I'd never, I'd never do that. I'd never act out on that. I would never do that. But, but you crack open the door so you can do that. You crack open that door and they all come flooding in. It's only a matter of time. That's why we need restoration. We need God to clean out that house in there. Sweep it clean. And then we need to keep it clean. Daddy came back in the living room. He said, go to your room. I want you to think about it. I want you to get ready for bed. You've had dinner. I want you to go to bed. I don't want to talk to you the rest of the night going to bed. I, I was six. I remember going to my room and I felt so guilty and I, I felt so sad. And I remembered something that one of my siblings had told me. I probably told you this before. One of my siblings told me early on in life, four or five years old, mom and dad didn't want any more kids. And they found you on a log in the backyard. You were a little baby and you were wrapped up in a blanket and they felt sorry for you. So they brought you in the house and they said, we're going to keep her for a while. But as soon as she acts out and she doesn't fit in our family, we'll just take her and drop her off at the orphanage. There's places that you can drop off kids. So they're not going to keep you very long. And the way you act... Well, you misbehave. They, they, they don't want you, really. They don't want you. They just feel sorry for you. I remember, and it, you know, it's funny now. It wasn't funny then. 
But I remember I couldn't sleep that night for worrying. Tomorrow will be the day they're going to take me and drop me off. I crossed the line now. They, they don't want me. They're going to take me to the orphanage. No, I'm here to tell somebody there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. There are no orphans in his family. You can't do anything so bad that he won't love you, that he won't take you back, that he won't forgive you, that he won't wrap his arms around you and welcome you home. There are no orphans. I got up that next morning and I, I got dressed and I, I went to the, the kitchen and mom was frying eggs and bacon for breakfast and daddy was at the table. My sisters were in their, their spots at the table and I, I walked in and I was scared. I remember I was so afraid to walk in that kitchen and I came around the corner and, and, and I was kind of just meek and, and ducking a little bit and, and my mom turned around and, and she said, Good morning. Good morning, sweetheart. How would you like your eggs? You want them scrambled with cheese? Sure, any old way be fine. <laughs> I looked very quickly to my dad, and he said, Good morning, sunshine. He always called me a sunshine. He sang that song, You Are My Sunshine, My Only Sunshine. And, and, and Daddy looked up, and, and he said, Good morning, sunshine. Come sit up here by your old dad. We're going to have a great day today. Everything's good. We're going we're gonna to have fun today as a family. We're going to do some fun things. Didn't sound like they were going to drop me off at the orphanage. If I ever saw Jesus as a child, I saw it that morning. Because I'm telling you, it was as if it never happened. When I had truly been sorry, when I'd been punished, when I'd gone to my room, when Mrs. Beasley was thrown away, when the old life was gone, when the new life came in, there, there wasn't any judgment. It was over. It was under the blood. If I ever saw Jesus, I saw him that morning. I'm talking to somebody today. Forget about your past. He doesn't even remember it. Restoration. Something better. We went about the day and I remember feeling so set free. I realized that I belong to this family. I belong here. They're not going to cast me out. You, you don't have to prove yourself to anybody. You just have to keep walking. Just keep your head up and keep walking. Keep coming. Live a repentant life. Run to the altar every week. Lift your hands and worship. Be filled and refilled with the Spirit. Just keep walking. We're all in different places in growth. It doesn't matter. Just keep going. Oh, and keep walking and so something better I preach this message I wonder if you come to the keyboard give these people some hope <laughs> I preached this message for the first time in Wisconsin when I gave the altar call, there were people restored back to God. There were people delivered. When I say deliverance, I'm talking about set free from the spirits that have you bound. There are spirits associated with addictions. And we can help you. Counselors are wonderful, but they can't counsel addictions out of you. You have to have a made-up mind, number one. And then you need a deliverance of the spirits that are associated with those things. There were people filled with the Holy Ghost. 
There were people baptized in Jesus' name in that service. The power of God moved just like he's moving today. And when I got finished, a young couple approached me. They said, we asked pastor if we could have you come to our home for dinner. Pastor said that would be fine. And so we put a date on the calendar. It was some three weeks away. And it was on a Thursday night. They lived about an hour from my home. When that night came, I got in the car and drove the journey to their house and went inside and they had dinner prepared and we had a wonderful time together. But I, I noticed they acted a little uncomfortable. You know, some people don't realize that we're people too. <laughs> and we laugh and eat and have fun and, you know, try to live a balanced life. They acted a little nervous. Finally, the young man told me that he said, I've never had the Lord speak to me before. And I, I'm not quite sure about all of this, but I believe God spoke to me to do something for you. And I, I, I've gotten you a, a gift. He went out of the room and his wife had the camera like she was going to video. And he came back into the room and he brought a, a gift for me. And as I opened the gift... He, he began to film, she began to film it, and it's very uh, nerve-wracking, but I, I, I love presents, so <laughs> I was fine. I opened my gift, and nothing could have surprised me more. I stood there holding Mrs. Beasley in my arms after 52 years and the Lord said this is what restoration looks like there's no hole in her head her mouth's not cut something better I wept and cried all the way home she sat on the front seat beside me <laughs> I rolled time back and I recalled something that you know the family always had funny stories they told your family perhaps at Christmas or family reunions remember when so-and-so did sometimes there are things that weren't funny at the time but once they heal over, then we all laugh about them later. But the Lord reminded me <laughs> that He sees down through time. And He knew that He would bring this story back to my mind and that I would use it to help people. And He reminded me that after that morning that Mom made eggs and bacon and Daddy smiled and we spent the day together, it was never mentioned again. No one ever mentioned what I had done again. That's restoration. And as I drove home, the Holy Ghost 
also reminded me. You know why she's something better? Because when your daddy scrimped and saved pennies, he rolled pennies to buy your Christmas. Mrs. Beasley cost a lot. She was $30. That was a lot of money 50 years ago. But when I spoke to this young man, he could have gotten the 50th anniversary, Mrs. Beasley. They made a 50th anniversary version. She has batteries. She's different. She's a replica. But oh no. He researched and he went online. And this Mrs. Beasley cost him $329. Because he said, I'm going to do what the Lord told me. And what people need to see is restoration. Something better. Oh yes, he'll take you just like you are. When he gets done with you, you're worth so much more. You're so much more valuable. This message is reaching on several levels right now. There are some of you that feel worthless. You feel like an orphan. You feel like you'll never fit in and never belong. And God can never really forgive you. And that's a lie. Some of you need to repent. You keep going back. The Bible says like a dog to its vomit. To your addictions. And it's time to get in the word. It's time for you to turn off the television. Get rid of devices. Do whatever you have to do to get rid of those addictions. Make yourself accountable. We need to repent. And there's some of us that just need to pray through. How are we going to help anybody else be restored when we have not allowed Him to completely restore us? Would you stand? They're going to sing. And I don't want to beg you to come. I just want you to come. Whatever part of this message may have moved on your heart, don't go out of the doors today. This could be the last service before Jesus comes. As they sing, will you move out of your seats? Will you find a place to pray? If you need the Holy Ghost, come right up here in the middle and stand. And someone's going to come to you. If you need healing, you've heard stories of healing, come stand right up here in the middle and the ministry will come to you. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing right now.